make it a little space here. <laughs> Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we open our hearts and minds to you. We want to hear what your word has to say to us this morning. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us, both in your word and in our lives. Reveal your intention to us as we dive in this morning. Teach us about yourself and teach us about what is possible as we walk with you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to start off by jumping right into scripture this morning. We're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. It begins, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Most Christians call this story the, the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, you might call it the one that got away. It's a sad story. It's a sad incident in the life of Jesus. A wealthy young man turns away from the chance to follow Jesus rather than leave behind his material wealth to do it. Right before this, right before this man comes up, What's Jesus been doing? Well, Jesus is gathering children, and he's blessing them. And he has a bit of a, a tiff with his apostles who are trying to keep the kids away. And he said, no, 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 let them come. Let them come to me. And, and he prays over them. And he says this about the children and their faith. He says, just a minute. It didn't go where I wanted to go. Anyway says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Now, I want you to look at these two verses together because they, they belong together. One story flows into the next story. So he's just finished telling them, this is how you need to approach God, like a little child, Nothing held back. Think about how little children approach things, you know. Uh, if they love you, if they sense that you're a safe person, if, if they really feel good about you, man, they're all over you. <laughs> you know, they're right there. They don't hold anything back. They just come. Well, think about this rich young ruler who comes to see Jesus. He's, he's almost the opposite here. Jesus gives him a chance to come. And he holds back. And it gets in the way of his pursuing Jesus and following Jesus and becoming something even more. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus used these little children to show us the kind of approach or attitude that we need when we come to Christ. We need to be able to have open hearts. We need to be able to 
let go. We need to be able to embrace him. Before I gave my heart to Jesus, I had the same question that the rich young ruler came to Jesus with, and that is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I had no clue. As I opened up my heart and, and I was hearing more scripture being taught, uh, listening to some conversations between my boss and a, a young man from the community, and they were talking, and I would just sit in the corner and I would just listen. And I was hearing all kinds of scripture and I was hearing all kinds of teaching about Jesus. And as I did, I opened my heart up a little bit. And as I opened my heart a little bit, the Holy Spirit began to prepare me to hear an answer to my question. I began to feel the presence of God nearby. Now, I didn't understand that feeling. I didn't really process it. And I certainly didn't know God yet. But I knew something was up. I knew something was happening. At first, I mistook that feeling of the presence of God for salvation. At the time, I lived in a small town about 150 miles north of North Bay, Ontario, in Canada. And, uh, and that's pretty far north. It's in the James Bay frontier. Standing on my back porch one cold night, I, I it was going through all this emotional and spiritual turmoil and wrestling with this stuff. And, and I just stopped one night and looked up at the stars, and I was just awestruck by what I saw. From my little cottage, if you were to drive north, you wouldn't get more than a quarter mile before the roads ran out. And then it was about 300 miles of straight brush to the next settlement, to the next town. Um, it was really out there. And at night, the winters, the temperature could drop down to as much as 35 below zero on, on a fairly regular basis. But the stars were unobstructed. You were out there, there were no city lights, there was nothing to get in the way. There weren't even hardly any cars going through. And so you could stand there, you could see the whole splash of the Milky Way without even using a telescope or a pair of binoculars. It was just a beautiful experience and I often found myself stopping before I went into my cabin just to watch. You could get a feeling of vertigo looking up at the sky. A sense of forgetting which way was up. And sometimes when you were standing there looking at this gigantic sky, it felt like you could fall into it. <laughs> you know, you could just fall right in. It was so beautiful. And there on my back porch, that one night, I'd worked late at the radio station and I'd been doing a bunch of commercials and I didn't get home till late and and I was going in the door, and I stopped, and I looked, and, and I looked up, and I said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to prove it to me, because I'm not sure that I believe in you. This is probably my first real honest prayer. And there on my back porch and looking at this beauty, God spoke to me. Now, it's one of the very few times in my Christian life over the last 40-odd years that, that I heard a distinctive voice answer my prayer. Now, I can't tell you for sure if it was inside my head or if it was an audible thing. I just know that I heard this voice, and the voice said to me, you are going to be on my side soon. That was it. 
Well, somehow I knew that that was God. Somehow I knew that he was trying to talk to me about my spiritual life. And I became more and more willing to listen with my heart to whatever God might want to have to say to me. But again, I mistook that close presence of God, that encounter with God, with salvation itself. I hadn't been saved, but I'd had an experience of his presence. Thankfully, a young couple who volunteered at the Brethren in Christ Church in town, they invited me into their house and they, they explained the difference to me. And on April 13th, 1982, 40 years ago this year, without any fireworks or lightning flashes or verses of the hallelujah chorus in the background, like a little child, I got down on my knees on the carpet beside the couch and I put my full trust in Jesus. Just a few minutes before that time, I remember feeling this block, this kind of a chokehold that was preventing me from moving forward in those moments. I believe that in those moments, God showed me that the blockage was my pride. It was kind of like a wall between me and him. And suddenly it became clear to me that I had a choice I had to make. I could keep relying on myself, I could not trust God, or I could trust God all of the way, and that meant letting go of my pride. And I had lots of excuses for not going forward, but they all seemed like nothing in those moments. And when I got down on my knees by my friend's couch, it was one of the hardest things I had ever done, was letting go of that pride. But I'll tell you something, it became one of the freest moments of my life. Never experienced anything like that. It's a little like the fear of stepping out of the airplane door for the first time and then experiencing euphoria as you float down and, and uh, only it was about a thousand times more intense than free fall, if you can imagine that. And right then I knew I was a child of God. I also knew that I was just a babe in Christ and that I had just started my journey. I knew I was on a quest to find out more about this God that had just touched my life when I expressed my faith in Jesus and received him as my Lord and Savior. The story of the rich young ruler shows us very clearly the choices that we need to make if we want to follow Jesus. These are choices that a lot of you have already made in your life. Let me share a few observations from this incident with the rich young ruler in Jesus. First of all, he asked the right question. The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, if you look at the second chapter of Acts, you look at Peter's sermon, the same question almost exactly is asked by the people who were hearing. It says, at Pentecost, people were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Same question. Same context. Ultimately, if we want to follow Christ, if we're really seeking God, and not just playing games of conscience, and, and you know what I mean by games of conscience, don't you? You know, you promise to follow God until things get better, and then you let that go, and then you, you get to a point where God's speaking to you in your heart, and, and your conscience starts to really 
bother you and you feel like you need to do something and you make this pledge and then when you get things better, you <laughs> drift away. That's games of conscience. If we're not playing games of conscience, if we're not just looking for fire insurance from hell, and I know lots of people have been in that situation. One fellow told me, the only reason I received Jesus was so I wouldn't go to hell. Not much of a motivation to follow Christ. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the young man was raised in a world where he believed that good works got you to heaven. If you just did enough good things, God would notice. In his world, there were 613 commands to follow from the Old Testament. Well, how could you keep track of all that? How could you ever know if you've got them all covered? He was doing his best to keep those rules. He was doing his best not to do the wrong things, to always do the right thing. Doesn't that mean if I do all that stuff, doesn't that mean I go to heaven? Doesn't that mean that? Except that's not the right question. The answer to that is no. On our own, we don't find our way to heaven. The right question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the rich young man got that part right. Not only did he get that part right, he asked the right person. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life to Jesus? He asked it to the Son of God. In fact, he asked the only person who could really tell him the full meaning and the full truth about God. Today, there are lots and lots of people who will give you answers if you ask that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, think of all the world religions and all the cults. Um, you know, Mormons are great people. They hold not only the Bible to be true, but they also have the Book of Mormon. They use the words born again, but they also insist that salvation is earned through good deeds. That's why you see those young people in their nice skirts and white shirts, and they're going door to door in your community. What they're doing is they must do that. That's part of the requirement. That's how they earn points. They have to do this, quote, mission work as part of their entrance to heaven. Their gospel portrays Jesus as an out-of-wedlock son of a sexual union between the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And they teach that after death you can be a god. Now, they used to practice polygamy, but it's outlawed here in this place, so now a man can earn as many wives as he wants in heaven. That's a great situation if you're a man. It's kind of a raw deal if you're a woman. The Mormons are quite prepared to give you an answer if you asked for it. The Jehovah's Witnesses would love to give you an answer for your question. They also say you must be born again, but theirs is also a salvation of works. You need to earn your way to heaven. But you're never going to know if you're one of the chosen ones because they say only 144,000 people get to be in heaven, get to have eternal life. And so on a, on a Sunday when they serve communion, almost nobody ever takes it because nobody knows for sure if they're one of the chosen. 
And it's a very sad experience. I did meet one lady who told me, yeah, my family, we're pretty convinced that we're the chosen ones, so they took communion every Sunday, but they were the only ones in their kingdom hall who did. It's pretty sad overall. You know, the, the whole sweep of the New Age movement of since you know, the 80s especially, uh, those folks will tell you that crystals and incense and incantations and meditation and hundreds of other things and processes will make you closer to the oneness with God, closer to the universe. Say the right words, light the sage smudge and you know, burn it around the apartment building to scare out the spirits and wear the right crystal. You'll be reincarnated over and over again until you ascend to godhood and become part of the universal mind. I hate to tell you, the only universal spirit is God's Holy Spirit. And these are just a few, you know, and you know these well, that's why I pick on them, but there are whole lineups of people who are ready to tell you the answer to the question, how or what must I do to inherit eternal life? But there's only one person who has the right answer. Only one person can tell you because he is the answer. You know who Ziggy is in the cartoons, you know, in the comic strips? I once had a T-shirt, a Ziggy T-shirt, and it said on it, Love is the answer on a big billboard, and Ziggy's looking up, and he goes, I wonder what the question was. Well, the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the only person you can actually go to who has that answer is Jesus. So this is where the rich young ruler goes to get his answer. And he gets the right answer. Jesus gives him the right answer. The Holy Spirit is drawing this young man just as he draws us before we come to Jesus. And he's been keeping the commandments and he's been loving God and he's been doing it his whole life. And Jesus says, that's good, that's good. But there's something missing. There's something missing. And here's the answer that he gives to the young man. He says, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's my favorite part of this story, is that line. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, notice that Jesus is asking a very particular thing of this young man, specifically. He doesn't ask this of anybody else. I mean, you don't see, as you read through the Gospels, you don't see him over and over and over again telling people to do this. And that's because this young man has a problem with this, with his materialism, with his possessions. And, and some people read this verse, St. Francis read this verse, and he took it quite literally. Immediately when he understood it, he stopped and he took off all his clothes and walked naked through the streets out of town and left everything behind. He took it very literally. When I said that not everybody has to sell their stuff to follow Jesus, I could hear you sigh. I could hear you go, no, I get to keep my classic collection of Bon Jovi albums. I get to still drive my car to work. You know, I get to do whatever. 
Jesus doesn't ask this of everyone because not everybody has the same hang-up as this man. It's about your heart. Now, you may have your own thing. You may have your own hang-up that will keep you from following Jesus. But this man had great wealth, and somehow it had taken a hold of his heart. And that was what was holding him back from giving Jesus his whole self. And so Jesus tells him that, that this is what he needs to do. He needs to, to sell everything and give it to the poor and to follow him and not hold anything back. The problem is that when Jesus gives him the answer to the question that he asks, he decides he can't respond to it. He gives the wrong response. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You ever watch the game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You ever see that show? I mean, it's been on a long time. It's been off and on two or three times. We watched it some when it first came out with Regis Feldman, and that was many years ago. People answered increasingly difficult questions and if they got them right, they would advance to the next level of money all the way up to get to the million dollars. And it was always interesting to see the response of people who go all the way up, who get all the answers right, all the way up to the last part, and then get the last answer wrong. They became so close, but they lost the million. And I, and I saw some people laughed. Some people got really angry at themselves, particularly. Some people cried. They would get so close to an enormous prize and not receive it. What a terrible feeling that must be. I wonder if this rich young ruler ever realized just how close he came to the prize and what it was that he lost when he walked away from Jesus. Jesus was showing him the way to eternal life and more. He went away sad because he had the great wealth. But I want to point out a couple of things here. The language here suggests that the young man was being invited not only to follow Jesus, but to be part of the inner circle, to be one of the apostles. The language that's used here is identical to language that's used when he's calling his disciples. So he wasn't asking him to be an ordinary follower. He was inviting him to be part of the 12 or to be number 13. How sad that he decides not to obey Jesus' request. It says Jesus looked around at the other disciples and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you've got to know Jesus made a joke here. This is a joke. <laughs> this is the kind of humor that was popular in their day. It was exaggeration and irony. The word for camel is the word gimel. And the word gimel also means rope. <laughs> so think about what he's just said here. What he said is, it's easier to thread a needle with a rope than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? It's our possessions holding us back sometimes. 
And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some repetitive sin in our lives that's holding us back that we don't want to let go of. Maybe it's some relationship that we don't want to let go of. Maybe God is talking to us about, well, just about anything. It, it can be very personal to you that he's talking to you about what you might need to let go of to follow Jesus. The disciples, they look at each other and they say, well, if this is the case, then who can be saved? And here's the, here's the kicker. Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The very first book I ever read was the Gospel of Mark. And the very first verse I ever memorized was this one. When I first read it, it's like God did something in my heart. He quickened it to my heart, and, and it hit me right between the eyes, you know, like that two-by-four. And I realized that, that by myself, I really couldn't do anything to gain eternal life. I just couldn't. Not even if I followed all the rules, all the commandments. Because eternal life is not about those things. Eternal life comes as the free gift of grace by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can't, even if we follow all the rules, we can't do it by ourselves. But God can do it because with God, the impossible becomes possible. The things we can't do. With God, all things are possible. Right about that time in my life when I received Jesus, uh, Dan Peake, who had been the uh, lead singer for the group America, you might remember America, they had a lot of big hits, uh, Sister Golden Hair, Sandman, Horse With No Name, Ventura Highway, you know, they were all really big hits, and there's, there's a half a dozen more that were huge. Well, right about that time, Dan Peake became a Christian, and he accepted Christ. And the very first thing he did, because he was still under an album contract, was he put out an album called All Things Are Possible. And he had this incredible song. My boss let me use it on my very last day in radio. When I was leaving radio and I was going off to Bible college, I finished my last show by explaining on air that I had become a Christian and I was leaving to go to Bible college. And then I played that song and the Words are, all things are possible with you by my side, and all things are possible with you to be my guide. Well, right after the record finished and the news came on from the network, phone rang, and it was a woman who was a Christian, and she was crying, and she told me that my testimony had really moved her and that she would pray for me. At the same time, about 150 to 200 miles away, a young man and his mother were driving, and uh, they were driving the 500 miles to school for his fall classes. And the only station that would come in clearly was ours. It was kind of bouncing in by skip. And when they heard the end of my show, they praised God, and there in the car as they drove, they began to pray for me. I know that's a fact because when I went to college, I met that man. His name is Gary, and he was one of my classmates. In my own town, within a few miles of the station, a lot of our congregation members were listening, and they were praying as I ended my radio career because they knew that it was a hard day in my life. I was leaving behind my only real connection to the music that I absolutely loved, and 
something I felt born to. It's like a little piece of me was closing down or being left behind. And hundreds of miles away, unknown to me at the same time, concurrent to all of this stuff, but told to me on the day that my grandmother, well, had her funeral, my Aunt Mary told me that she had been praying for me for years, for most of my life. I found out that she had also prayed for my grandmother for years and that she had led my grandmother to Jesus a short time before my grandmother was taken with Alzheimer's. I have been blessed by people praying for me and by little miracles, you know, like that connection with Gary. It's like, man, what are the odds of that? But that's God. That's the way he operates. The impossible is possible for God. You know? When God was speaking to the rich young man's heart, he asked the right question and he asked the right person. And Jesus gave him the right answer that was very tailored to him, that was unique to that person. And he issued a very special invitation, but the young man gave the wrong response and he turned away from Jesus and he lost the prize the one that was worth far more than anything he could have held on to. The right answer he should have given Jesus was this. Yes, I'll follow you, no matter what it costs. It was the only response that, that would have made a huge difference in his life. Let me ask you a question. Are you asking the right question? Are you asking the right person? God will give you the right answer with Jesus. And chances are it'll be very tailored to your particular need. He'll speak to you about those things that are going on in your heart. Are you ready to give the right response? Sometimes that comes with a cost. I understand that. So do a lot of you. You've been through that experience of having to let something go to follow Jesus. But if we desire to inherit eternal life, the only answer we can give is, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And maybe in your heart you're saying, I can't, I can't. But I can tell you as somebody who's experienced it, with God, you can because with God, all things are possible. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your only Son, the Lord Jesus, who died on a cross for your sins. Thank you for the forgiveness we receive through Jesus. And thank you for the grace, the free gift of salvation. We can never earn that. We can't buy it. We can't dream it up. It comes as we believe. Lord, today I want to put everything on the table, my heart, my life, everyone in my life, all I have, I trust you, I believe in you. Please come in and be my Lord and Savior. I promise to follow you and live for you. I pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.